I got good news. This is fun stuff to talk about when you start a new year. We finished our year leaning into this idea that we want to make the world better and brighter in Jesus' name. And so for us, the way that took shape was a generosity project at Vista Square. We gathered together jackets, brand new coats, and had the privilege of putting brand new coats on children who were simply wearing t-shirts on a very cold day, which was so fun for us to experience. Uh, we, we then said, hey, we're not stopping there. We're going to do tutoring hours. We talked to the kids at Vista Square and, and their, their, their families and the administration and said, hey, what do we need to do in everything and and so we said they said our kids are falling behind they're falling behind quickly and so they need tutoring help they need help with their education so they don't get left behind and passed over and the whole thing and so we said we'll hire tutors we'll send them to the school to work individually with the kids to get them caught up the coolest thing happened I was like praying like can we do a hundred hours like could we just get a hundred knocked down and just, I mean, that is crazy. Like, if you consider, think of your child receiving a hundred hours of individualized attention. That's a big deal. Move the needle. 150 was my faith goal. Like, please, Jesus, could we do this? It was so cool when we finally counted everything up in the new year and said we gave 307 hours. Yeah, yes, God. Like, yes. And here's what you can't afford to miss. That's real children. So in our town, there are kids who are fighting for their lives not to get left behind. And now because of your generosity, real educated tutors are going to be sitting down with these children and helping them catch up. We're going to see about the idea of having them work in little groups of threes or fours to actually multiply this into some 1,200 hours of extra help for students in need. Uh, but that, my friends, when, when the sign says make the world better and brighter in Jesus' name, that's what we mean right there. So don't miss that, okay? Uh, next, okay, I need you to help me. So I've told you guys, the quieter you are, the longer I talk. And so you could help us all get out of here into lunch sooner by joining me as we welcome. So uh, we got double cameras in back, okay? This is cool. We got our online audience in one, and then we got our outdoor venue people uh, in the other. And so on three, you're just going to do a woo, a clap, a hey, a howdy, whatever you say. Yeehaw. I don't care. It's acceptable in Jesus' name to welcome those guys. So online audience... An outdoor audience, we love you guys, we see you, let's go. Who's, who's happy? Okay. Yes. All right, welcome, welcome especially online people to the gym. It's good to have you in here. We've been talking about you guys for a while now, and so now you get to hear what we've been saying. That's going to be fun. I'm going to read a verse. We're doing the People of Rest series. We'll get there together. Let me start with some words from Jesus in Matthew 11, verse 28. He says, come to me. All you who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Let's pray. God, as we open up your word today, I just sit in full view of the fact that if anything's going to happen this morning, it is going to be by your power and your spirit. 
Jesus, there is a huge gap between my ability to communicate your wonder and sufficiency and supremacy. There's a huge gap between who you really are and my ability to communicate. And so, Holy Spirit, I'm asking that you would show up in this moment and that you would fill that gap. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. So on our staff team, and actually in my house now, we have this word, we have this code called my red lights are flashing. And, and we established this code because in life, you guys know just as well as I do, you can get moving and you can get tired. There's like levels. There's like, whoo-wee, I could use a nap. And then there's, man, I need about three days to get caught up in everything. And then about 15 days of that go by and you get to this place where somebody looks at you wrong and you're ready to punch them in the nose even though it's all your fault and you're tired. And we call that my red lights are fashioning. So on the staff team, you can kind of go to somebody if you're in a tired place and you go, hey, my red lights are flashing. And that's just code for I may make horrible decisions and I really need you right now. And so I remember the week going into our Christmas in the park service, my red lights were flashing. I was, I was just in this, I was getting through on grit. It seemed like every time one responsibility was finished, there were five other things that I had gotten behind on. I'm not sleeping right. I'm laying in bed. Too many things are playing in my mind, kind of keeping me up. It's just one of those times where I'm just exhausted. And I remember going through that season and I'm doing that thing. If I could just, you, know, you ever do the game? You're like, if you can just make it past this, you'll be able to put your feet up. And so for me, that was our Christmas services. They were on the 19th of December in the park. And so before the 19th, we're, we're trying to get to that. And then we have that week off. And, and so there's, we got to get our budget approved. And there's meetings and people you're trying to see. And, and it's no different than you guys. You know December and you're trying to fit all this stuff in at the end of the year. My red lights are flashing. I say, hey, if I can just make it past the Christmas service and we can get through and we can get some rest. But many of you kind of know this, but the Friday before the Christmas service, we get a phone call and Britt's father has passed away unexpectedly. And so we go straight from season of being purely exhausted into season of crisis management. We get her on the next plane out the following morning, and then there's all kinds of other details that need to happen. Turns out the kids and I are going to go and be with her, so Christmas service finishes, and then we crack open a laptop, and it's okay, we can get you there on, on Tuesday, and you have one day that you can pack everything. And so then we move from exhaustion to crisis management. We get to southern Indiana where my wife and her her brother and her sister are the next of kin and so it's a week of just figuring out who needs to be where them being forced to make decisions that they never thought they'd have to make till sometime way in the future and people asking them questions and then it's cleaning out his house and where do the kids go when they're cleaning out a house and how do you even clean out a house and okay you need totes to clean out a house and then you go here and we'll be there and then we'll cover this thing and you guys make sure this happens and then it's the actual service itself and it's one of those crappy situations when you're trying to to arrange things and get everything through, everyone through a moment where you're actually dealing with the moment itself. And so you have that, not to mention the fact that we have all these children in the same room for seven hours and you're trying to manage that. We finally finish up the arrangements, bounce over to my hometown for two days uh, where it's all kinds of holiday stuff and it's the, all of a sudden the expectations of being back in town for Christmas and hey, are you going to see so-and-so because they haven't seen you in years and we're managing those expectations 
stations and then we're like, then we leave and so we drive back over a few hours to where we're going to fly out and get back home finally, thank goodness. And so we get to the airport and basically you're checking into your flight and getting text messages about how your flight's going to not make your connection all at the same time. Then it's airport life. Then it's New Year's Eve in Minneapolis, Minnesota when we are delayed and we are stuck and it's 13 degrees below zero. And then I said, don't worry, babe, we'll go to the embassy suites because they have unlimited bacon for breakfast and that'll redeem this thing. And so we get in the, the shuttle and then they go to the embassy suites and I show him my phone and he's like, sir, you're at the wrong embassy suites. And then and I was like, I'm going to punch you in the face, sir. And, and he's like, just get in your Uber. It's five minutes down the road. So we go to the other one and, and, and then we're at the embassy suites and then we're like trying to find our way. But how are you going to enjoy the embassy suites? Well, you got to be up at four in the morning to get on the next flight to get home. We get home. Our kids do do over Christmas on Sunday, open all the presents. They were great. And then I wake up. It's Monday morning. Monday morning is when I do all my sermon writing for the week, okay? Because you got to knock that bad boy out so you can enjoy your week and the whole, it's a whole thing. And so I am so disoriented, I'm so overwhelmed and overdrawn. I open, I have this spreadsheet, so I go away and, and for about six months at a time, I plan all the sermons, then I know which one's which. They go in this nice spreadsheet, it's beautiful. And so I am so disoriented, I sit down Monday, like, where am I? I open up, I'm like, what are we, Jesus, what are we talking about? I open the spreadsheet and I look at the little week. I line it up to see what we're supposed to do right here, right now, today. And the sermon series is people of rest in a world marked by exhaustion. I was like, good one, Lord. <laughs> I see what you did there. And I, I really had this plan in mind. You guys, I've been looking forward to this Sunday for like months. And I'm like, I am going to come here as the people of rest, I'm going to say, guys, I am here to show you with my life that it is possible. And I, I have achieved rest in Jesus' name. And follow me into the promised land because it doesn't have to be so busy. And I have way more in common today, guys, with the world marked by exhaustion than I do with the people of rest. But thankfully, a mentor of mine said, hey, Matt, your greatest sermons will always come from your weaknesses and not your strengths. And guys, if he's right, I'm here to tell you this is going to be one of the best series in Momentum Church's history. I tell you that to tell you this. I don't even think we have to spend much time talking about how this world is slanted towards exhaustion. It's Southern California, the year is now 2022, and I don't have to explain to you, if you just go walking through life, you don't have to work very hard at all to find yourself exhaustion. It, it could just be the simple task of getting everybody in your family where they need to be and getting them what they need to have. It could just be the provider pressure, and you're like, how's come a ham sandwich costs $15 all of a sudden, and I used to be able to afford ham sandwiches, and now I'm not sure, and do I need to pick up a side hustle so I don't get left behind. It could be the simple fact that some kids showed up in your life and then all of a sudden all of your great ideas about parenting just went out the window and you're just trying to stay well rested. It could be the fact that you're a student and all of a sudden everybody, to correct me if I'm wrong, everybody wants you to be 100% into their thing when you're a kid, right? 
Like, the coach is mad that this isn't your life. The teacher's mad that this isn't your life. Somebody else is mad that this isn't your life. And the whole time, you're just trying to hang out. You're like, I'm just trying to be. And there's a whole world, no matter where you are, that is calling you into this life that is overwhelmed, overwhelmed, overworked and overwhelmed. Maybe we just coined a new term here at Momentum. You guys feeling overwhelmed lately? But you get the point behind the words. Our world so quickly and easily pulls us into this state of exhaustion. And what we're going to do for five weeks is say, how do we become people of rest in a world marked by exhaustion? I don't know if you knew that, if, if you're newer to momentum or uh, around or something, I have this goal for you as your pastor, and I can't do it without you. I want to have the most well-rested church in America. I used to want the biggest church in America, but then I realized a big church full of exhausted people is not going to do much in Jesus' name. I want a church of well-rested Jesus followers who are so filled with him, walking in such rhythmic step with Jesus. We have margin. We have the ability to give our lives away to something that is bigger than us. Guys, that's where we're going in this series. I'm going with you, not as one who says, look at me, I've got it all figured out, but somebody who says, I need this too. So we're going to begin in the beginning, if you want to follow along, you could go in your Bible or version or your phone or whatever you're flipping around with for Scripture to Genesis chapter 1. We're going to begin all the way at the beginning. If you were to look at the days of creation, this is when God starts making the world and these days of creation show up. And so we don't have to read the whole thing together. I'll just give you the, the Max Notes version. Day one, he creates light and darkness, which let's not skim by that. That's a pretty big achievement because I don't know anybody else who could create light and darkness. And then a sky and land and sea and plants and sun and moon and stars and animals. And then on day six, the story just downshifts. Everything slows down and God creates creates humanity and it says he scoops together this dirt from the ground and forms it into a man and he breathes into the man's nostrils and this man comes to life and I am watching that on DVR when I get to heaven because I want to see that moment and here's what you need to know about Genesis okay just imagine the phrase in your head divine design when God is crafting the world we see God's divine design. In other words, in this little picture, God is creating everything, calling it good, and everything in this picture is exactly how God wants it to be. So he creates this world, he creates mankind, but then you would get to chapter 2 and something interesting happens. On the seventh day, we get this new picture. So it's now day seven in Genesis 2 verse 1. It says, thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. If you're an underliner, a note taker, or a Bible marker upper, just underline these passages right here because something powerful happens. Think on this. You got light and moon and stars and animals and plants and humanity. And then on day seven, humanity is there like, all right, Lord, what are we up to today? And he's like, we're going to rest. 
I don't know what picture you have of the first day mankind walked the earth. But what we see here is it was a day of rest. I don't know if you grew up in church and they had a board with felt animals on it. Do you guys, anybody have a felt board or a sticky board? And there was like a snake and a tree and you're smiling because some of you know what I'm talking about. And they go, hey, here's Adam. And he was wearing the leaves and stuff. And you just put them in you're like, this is children. What is going on here? And, and so they had the felt board and they go, yeah, God created everything. And then check this out. Adam had to name all the animals. And it creates this picture in your mind that God forms this man out of the dust, breathes into his nostrils. Boom, there's Eve and there's Adam. And then God goes, all right, I have been waiting for you guys. We have got some work to do today. Hey, you're going to name all the animals, and, and so that'll take about a month or two, and, and then you're going to classify them, and you're going to organize them. And over in the corner, there's this rake and a shovel and a hoe, and this garden is going to need tending, and you are stewards of creation, and you've got to watch out for this good creation. And then when that's all finished, check in with me, because i got this six-part lecture series on what it means to be made in my image, and I'm going to show you all of this stuff. We don't get to Genesis and get the picture of a noisy, hurried God or humanity. Mankind's first day was a day of rest. Uh, if you're a note taker, here's the note. Mankind was made for margin. Mankind was made for margin in God's divine design. When God thought of you, when he thought of humankind, his plan was not that every single moment of your life, your day, and your hours would be filled with something. Think on this. God's divine design. There was supposed to be margin. He took a day. And he said, you're going to rest on this day. You're going to rest on this day every seven days. You're going to take a day where there's space. You're going to take a day where there's breathing room. You're going to take a day where you remember it's not all riding on you. What do we mean when we say margin? Let me break this down to you. Margin is the space between your pace and your limits. Margin is the space between all that you can do and what you actually choose to do. Margin is the space between how fast you can go and that moment when you break down. If only I had uh, this young, sweet couple in a big blue rubber band so I could illustrate. Oh, wait, I do. Hey, come on up, guys. Thanks. Kendall and Sierra, everyone, make some noise as we get started. Okay. We're going to have fun in church. All right, back to back for me. Back to back. I'm going to place that over. Hold it in two hands. There you go. I'm going to place that over you. Two hands. There you go. Okay. If these two, let's go. Let's talk margin. If these two represent everything you have to do in your life, okay? So they're not people anymore. These two represent your commitments, the things you have to do, the places you have to go. These two represent uh, your homework assignments, the classes you got to finish, the hours you have to work, the work assignments, the project, getting your kids. Okay. These two represent all that. And this represents the time you have. Look at this. There is, in God's divine design, 
There is supposed to be margin. In the life we read Genesis 2, and God resting on the seventh day, there is supposed to be extra space. Space where you can breathe. Space where you can think. Space where you can clean up the last thing you did before you have to rush to the next thing you did. Space where the back of your car does not look like somebody else is living in there. Space where you can actually enjoy your life. But here's what happens. You guys know as well as I do, uh, some, some, some of us work, we live, okay, let's talk culture. We live in a culture that tells you you can get it all done if you just work hard enough. Go ahead and take a step for me. Right there, right there, right there. <laughs> we work in a culture that says, hey, just put in a little more hours, bite your cheek, and, and just kind of grind through it. Hey, it's just a season. And when it's just a season, you end up telling the family and the people who are close, hey, I'll make it up to you. Don't worry. When we get through March, then we'll all go do blank because it's just a season. Some of you work in environments where you are only celebrated when you're taking another step. When you're only celebrated, that's good. That's good. Gosh. <laughs> Kendall's, Sierra's going to get slingshotted across the gym. You work in environments, a little more, a little more. Come on. Let's make them nervous. Look at it. It's like peeling too. Right there, right there, right there. Some of you work in environments where you're only celebrated if you overwork. Like, look at Gina. She's, oh, she's killing it. She's killing her family. Look at Gina. Oh my gosh. And you're patted on the back. I can do a little more. There you, yeah, good job. Good job, Gina. We work and live in a culture it says this is normal. But guys, look, look really closely. The truth is, this is not normal. Normal is what God created in that garden. And sin has put us in a place where we have all kinds of broken tendencies that we celebrate. But this was never God's divine design. Can I tell you something? There's only so much time you can spend right here before something snaps. You live like this long enough and all of a sudden you have a couple on a counselor's couch who barely know one another. You live like this long enough and you've accomplished all your career goals but you have children who have never been taught the things that truly matter in this world. You live like this long enough you end up exhausted, looking around at all the people you were trying to impress and you realize that no one was ever looking in the first place. Because you were made for margin. Okay, let's back out of this situation carefully. Okay, there you go. There you go. Over your head first. There we go. There we go. Kendall and Sierra, everybody, give them some love. You were made for margin. And, and I, want, I, I want to just sit on this for a moment, okay? You don't see the word margin in your Bible a lot. You, you see the concept, but you don't see the word margin. But, but here's, what I, here's what I hope you see and what you can't afford to miss. Margin is a holy matter. This is 100% in fact something that matters to God in your faith. 
Margin is a holy matter. And here's why. Margin is the space where my life truly glorifies God. It is when I maintain a life of margin that I bring glory to God. We could just talk about this. This is an obedience issue. God would double down on this in the next book of the Bible. You get Genesis, and he creates it in his divine design. People get a little sloppy and a little lazy, and he spells it out in Exodus. He says, on the seventh day of the week, you are to rest. Not catch up on all the things that you were supposed to do and do your chores and kind of get caught up and go grocery shopping. Not even go to church. You're supposed to to rest. We are commanded to be a people of rest. And so at face value, this is an obedience issue. Did you know it's one of the, did you know the commandment to rest, which we call Sabbath, is one of the Ten Commandments? It is nested right on the same page with don't lie, don't murder, and rest. It's an obedience issue. But on top of that, when I maintain margin in my life, I glorify God in ways that music never could because I am showing Him on a day-to-day basis how much I need Him. No, I love worship. I mean, this is my... I could do this. I could do hours of this. And that does glorify God, but it's not the only way. I glorify God day-to-day between Sundays when I live a life where He's a part of it. An old quote a long time ago that I heard one time was perhaps our prayerlessness, our worst sin is prayerlessness because of what it says about who we think is really in charge. You get his drift, right? He's saying, you know, when I live a life and I'm going thing to thing and I'm doing my thing and setting my goals and I'm out there achieving it and there's no space where I'm in front of God and I'm saying, hey, if you don't get involved here, something bad's going to happen. If you don't, hey, I'm, I'm here. I'm with you. You're with me. You matter. If there's none of that going on, then I live a life and it's showing who I really think God is. Now, this is a while ago, but here's my point. I think we could sub out the word prayerlessness with restlessness. I think in 2022, we could update this and say one of our worst sins is restlessness because what it says about who we think is really in charge. When I fill my life, when my blue, come on, help me back with the blue rubber band, throw it back. There we go. When I live, thank you, when I live with complete tension, when I fill every moment of my day with everything that I could be doing, when I live in this tension, I am showing God and everybody else who I think has got all this stuff under control. When I live a life with no margin, when I live a life filling every single moment of every single day with everything I could do to make it, to try and make it, to make it work, or to make it by and make it last on my own, I am communicating that I don't need God. But on the contrary, when my life has margin, I'm showing that I don't think it's all on me. I don't want to spoil next week, but I'm telling you, when I leave space in my life, that's a God gap. That space is showing the world around me. It's not all on me. 
I'm not so, I can't do it on my own. When I leave space, I am showing that I have faith that there's a God out there and he is committed to my well-being. Do you guys remember that moment in the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus was teaching? Greatest Jesus sermon ever. And in Matthew, 20, or Matthew chapter 6, he gets to those words and he goes, guys, in light of who God is, therefore I tell you, don't worry about your life and what you eat or drink or about your body or what you wear. Is life not more important than food? And the, Hang on, Luke, don't go to the next one yet. And the body more than clothes? That word, don't worry. It's so literally translated like, don't get caught up in the rat race. That word, don't worry, it is, it is do not trade your life for simply making it. That word, don't worry, it's like, don't give in. In a world that says it's all on you, and it's about hustle, it's about drive, it's about power. No, I'm just kidding. In, in a world that says, you got this. Don't do it. And here's why. Go to the next one. Look at the birds. They don't sow or weep or store away in the barns. And yet, your heavenly Father feeds them. He's saying when you live a life with margin and space in it, your life is saying, I believe that there is a heavenly Father who is passionately committed to my well-being. And because I trust Him, I'm going to leave space. Because I trust Him, there's going to be breathing room. Because I trust Him, I'm going to maintain margin in my life. Margin is a holy matter. Because margin is the holy space where abundant life in Jesus happens. I'm going to start at the very beginning in case you never heard this before. But in John 10.10, Jesus gives a quick summary of his life. And he says, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. There's a real personal Satan, evil. He's out there. He's got an agenda. It is to steal, kill, and destroy. And Jesus says, I've came that they might, that's his people, I've come that they might have life and have it abundantly. Translation is Jesus has a dream for your life. He has a dream where there's, there's relationship and a goodness and a goodness that doesn't fade and there's vision and there's adventure and there's encounters and there's people and there's a purpose that only you can fulfill. And, and sitting in the sweet spot of this life in Jesus, it is everything you were made for. And if you could taste it, you would trade everything you have for it. But here's what I've noticed the longer I follow Jesus. That abundant life only grows in me and around me when my life has margin. When I'm overworked, overwhelmed, and just over it, it pushes the abundance that Jesus has out of my life. Have you ever been on a vacation and everybody who was on the vacation ends up having the best memory of their vacation wasn't even something that was on the itinerary. I remember when well, my oldest and our, we had two daughters. I don't think our youngest son was here yet. We had the girls. And I remember 
wanted to get one good Disney adventure in before our son came. It was, everything was going to come to a grinding call, and it did. And so we're like, let's get Disney in one time. And I did all the Disney, like I did the homework, okay? So I, I, I knew the places to go and when to be there. I'm calling all the people I know who ever been to Disney and go, which hotel is the best hotel? How do you get into the park? How does that hopper pass work so you don't have to wait in the lines? We got the girls and all they want to do is the princesses. And so we know the schedule. And somebody goes, if you go to the character breakfast, you get all the other char the characters out of the way and then you don't have to worry about seeing them in the park. So go to the character breakfast. The waffles are great. It'll be worth it. I said, I'm in. So we do the character breakfast we know all the tips and we get in the hopper pass we go you got to get over here to see Belle at this time because this is where she's going to be and Anna and Elsa are all the rage right now so make sure you knock that out and if you do this you can get into the park and then you got young kids so if you get this pass then you can walk past the cheesecake factory and and have that brown bread to refuel and, and then go back to your hotel nap the kids get back and then get over to the uh, California adventure because they have the water show and the water show is better than the parade but if you've never seen the parade go do the parade but the water show is better than the parade and you go and I mean, guys, high boom, ran the play, knocked out Disney. And I mean, just proud of myself, dad of the year, come home, high-fiving myself for the whole week. We did it. We made it. We lived to tell about it. One night, hanging out, got the girls' bedtime. Hey, hey, girls, uh, tell your dad how awesome he is. No, it's like, hey, what was, your, what was your favorite part of the Disney trip? Lucy does not miss a beat. She said... It was when we got to the hotel and you let us jump on the beds. <laughs> Could have told me that $3,000 ago. I'll buy you a bed. I'll buy two. We'll buy jumping beds. And the favorite thing for her that happened on the trip was not even something that was a part of the trip. It was something that happened in the margin. And in the things of God and the abundant life that Jesus has for you, that's the way it works. Those beautiful things of God grow when your life has space. You don't get vision when you're overwhelmed. You don't get adventure and purpose when you filled every single minute of your day with trying to make it. You don't get fellowship with your Creator and His sustaining presence when you think that it's all up to you. The things that God has for you can only grow in your life when you take margin seriously. You guys, here's the other thing. Margin is how we're going to shine in a world that's marked by exhaustion. You know Philippians, right? He says, the people of God, here's what we're called. We're called to shine like stars in the universe, okay? Hold on to that. If you follow Jesus... This has already been declared over your life. You are called and commanded to shine in the world around you. That's a fact. We're supposed to be people of light and life. Every room you go into, you should bring light and life in there with you. We are called to shine. We're called to live contagious lives. We're called to live lives where people go, I don't really know what that guy believes or what her faith system is, but I want what she has. Can I ask you a question? You ever seen somebody running around, their arms full, their hair's all a mess, 
They're late to every single thing they try and go to. They're apologizing nonstop. Oh, I'm sorry. Oops, sorry. Oh, sorry. And, and they, they're completely overwhelmed and stressed and looked at them and said, man, I want what she has. Of course not. And this is where margin and living lives of rest and space crosses paths with the mission of Jesus for our lives. We're called to shine. And through history, people have always shined when they give the world a better vision. When Jesus showed up on earth and religion had locked God away from people and hid God behind tired religious duty, Jesus shined when he showed up and announced a vision of a loving heavenly Father. Years after Jesus, when the entire world was consumed with self and survival, the early Christians shined when they shared what they had freely with people in need. Years later, when sick people were considered a liability and a threat to our survival that is to be discarded, it was the Christians who established the first medical centers and hospitals to care for the sick when no one else were. And they shined. Do you guys know how we shine in a world that is marked by exhaustion? We live as people of rest. Now, everything in me wants to go practical, right? Here's how you do it. Step one, step two, step... No, no, no. Here's what I want to do today. I just want you to know it's possible for you. Because Jesus says his yoke is easy and his burden is light. And you know what that means? That means he would never lay anything on top of your life that would crush you. So it means the rest that he promises is possible for you. And I just want to be a voice, just one voice telling you, you don't have to live exhausted anymore. You don't have to live overwhelmed, overworked, and over it. You don't have to keep relying on those habits that make you feel even worse than you started when you get so tired. It's possible for you to be a person of rest in a world marked by exhaustion. So I want to read that same passage to you one more time. But I want to read Eugene Peterson's version as he translated it in the message. And just let this be our vision for the next four weeks. Matthew eleven twenty-eight, 28, in the message. Are you tired? Worn out? Burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. This is Jesus to you. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. 
Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Would you guys stand as we do one more song together?